0: Booth open up to Acts chapter seventeen that 's where we 'll be today. sometimes when i 'm going through the scripture and i 'm looking at the different missionary journeys that take place i i was in fact I was just talking to Andy a little while ago between services and uh, you know he's excited about some doors that the lord's opening for him and and uh, you know the idea that he might be headed to Scotland sooner rather than later and uh, all of which I told him is very cool and kind of sad and uh, he says what do you mean I says well it's great I'm excited but every time uh, every time somebody gets raised up there comes a time where you got to tell them also goodbye and and send them out and I wonder about Paul you know with with Barnabas, I wonder with Paul, with, even with John Mark later on we see, and, and Paul with Silas, and, and Paul with Timothy, and all the guys that he poured into his whole life, and, and how exciting that is, and great. But then there also comes a time where the ones you pour into, God calls into ministry someplace else. So this morning, before we get too far going, I'm going to have Brian and Alexis come up again. They came up our first service, but that's not enough prayer. (laughs) So we're going to have them come on up, and we're going to lay hands on them and pray for them. So if you would like to come up and join us in laying hands on uh, brother and sister from our fellowship who are heading into ministry to the wicked land of California. (laughs) If you want to join us in that, we'd love to have you come on up. And we'll pray. How are you, Asher? Good. How are you? I'm marvelous. <laughs> Thanks for asking. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I'm just so thankful to have had the time we've had with with Brian and Alexis, Lord God, to watch you uh, develop gifts. In their life, Lord Jesus, we thank you for the time uh, that Alexis shared in worship with women's ministry, and and Brian in men's ministry, and both of them together in youth ministry. Lord God, as you have just been raising them up and pouring into them, uh, empowering them by your Spirit, as they pour out. Lord, we just thank you for the times that we've spared, uh, we've spent together, and the time that we had uh, just reading, pouring over the Word together, Lord God. I just uh, come before you, Lord, and we ask your blessing, your special anointing and touch. As they uh, leave us, Lord Jesus, we pray, God, that your hand would go with them, that you would go forward, Lord, that you would do amazing and mighty things through them. Father, that you would empower his ministry there, Lord Jesus. And I thank you that he can answer a prayer for laborers to come for the harvest is ripe. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would do just mighty great works. We ask for traveling mercies as they head out. We pray, God, that you would watch over and keep them. Lord Jesus, we ask for your special blessing. God, as we lift them to you, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Hi, As I shared, we're uh, taking a look at Acts chapter 17 as we continue to take a look at the second missionary journey. Paul and Silas, we saw them uh, last couple of weeks in Philippi, and they had a lot of persecution and struggles that occurred in Philippi. Remember, they were beaten, they were locked into prison. Then God did some pretty miraculous things, opened the prison doors, let the prisoners all loose. God uh, began to move and, and work, and we see... God doing great things for him there in Philippi, but just like Brian and Alexis in a lot of ways, Paul eventually had to leave Philippi and continue on his journey. And everywhere that Paul went was like that. You ever thought about that? I wonder how many times Paul, how many, how many times Paul spent weeping as, you know, you, you come to love the people that you're sharing with and that you're pouring into and doing things with, but Paul was always called somewhere else. You know, he the first missionary journey's over. That was all the regions of Galatia. He's gonna he's is at Philippi. He's gonna go to Thessalonica. He's gonna go to Berea. He's gonna go to Athens. Uh, he's gonna continue working his way all throughout Europe and and the area of Greece. And God, everywhere he goes, he's gonna pour in, and then a work's gonna get established, and then he's gonna go. The beauty is, we have uh, so much to to. Uh, really see and study from Paul because everywhere he left he wrote back to that's why we have the book of Thessalonians and the book of Ephesians, the book of Colossians we have the book of Galatians all these from areas that Paul visited where he poured out his heart to them, and then he would write to them, "What's going on with the church?" Encouraging them in the Word, encouraging maybe in areas where they're struggling, but continuously reaching out to see God move uh, in a greater degree in their life. Look, we can never be satisfied with where we are with Jesus Christ. Wherever we are today, if it, even if it's better than where we were with the Lord yesterday, it's not enough. We gotta constantly be progressing. Constantly moving forward. If you're an athlete, if you're a, uh, a runner, you know that you got to be spending time running. You look at me and you say, Jackie, you've never run a day in your life. That's not true. I was in the Marine Corps for like four, eight years. And for eight years, I ran three miles, two, five miles, every single day. When the Marine Corps let me go, I swore that I would only run again if a bear was trying to eat me, a lion was trying to eat me, somebody was trying to kill me, I'll run for a little while. But I'm not going to run for very long. Maybe only just a little longer than the guy I'm with. I don't know. We'll see. But we know when we think about that, when we think about athletics, how many days off do you take in athletics before you start to notice a difference in your performance? How many days off? If if I'm a runner and I quit running, this is what happens to you. You see, right? That's what happens. Those are the things that occur as a result. Look, it's no different in our relationship with Jesus Christ. Always progressing, always moving forward, always wanting to understand more, always wanting to know where is he moving, how is he directing me, what can I do in my life for him. As we do that, we're always progressing. We don't stalemate, we don't fall into complacency, we don't backslide, we don't fall away. That's the life, right? If if I want the lifestyle of a runner, there's a price to pay, agreed? If I want the lifestyle of a Christian, this is what I want you to grasp there's a price to pay for that too there's no magic wand the Lord waves over your head and poof everything changes right there's a a measure of discipline that I think God uh, is calling for in our life so we're going to pick it up in Acts chapter 17 the first 15 verses if you want to join me there if I can join myself there we'll be in good shape Acts 17, verse 1. Now when they had passed through Amphipopla, you know, I've been doing Chronicles on Wednesday. Oh my gosh, nine chapters of genealogy. Those of you who have gone through it with me, man, that was something, huh? You would think Amphipolis would be easy, amph- but it's not. I don't know why. I didn't stumble over it last time, did I, Fritz? Just this time. My tongue's fat. It's in the way. You guys know what I'm talking about. In Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica, where there was a synagogue of the Jews. Then Paul, as his custom was, he went into them, and for three Sabbaths, he reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that the Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus, whom I preach to you, is the Christ. Now some of them were persuaded, and a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women, joined Paul and Silas. But the Jews, who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace, and gathering a mob, set all the city in an uproar. And they attacked the house of Jason, and sought to bring them out to the people. When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some brethren to the rulers of the city, crying out, these who have turned the world upside down have come here too. And Jason harbored them, and these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying, There is another king, Jesus. And they troubled the crowd and the rulers of the city when they heard these things. So when they had taken security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Now these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness, and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, there came there also and stirred up the crowds and immediately the brethren sent paul away to go to the sea but both silas and timothy remained there so those who conducted paul brought him to athens and receiving a command for silas and timothy to depart to him with all speed they departed let's pray heavenly father lord god we thank you for your word for the truth written on these pages lord god that we might just want to grab a hold of it, Lord Jesus, to receive that which you have for us. God, to model our lives and our ministries after your word. Lord, we pray that your word would find fertile soil within our hearts in which it might grow. That we might have eyes to see and ears to hear. Lord, that we would be uh, just willing to follow you wherever you lead us. And we give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well... This section of scripture, we see two churches born. One at Thessalonica, it comes through tribulation and persecution. The other at Berea. Now, it comes through an eagerness. And as we look at it, we see Paul. We know Paul consistently moving, right? Consistently going. Knows that God has a call in his life. He understands God's general will, right? He wants to be out making disciples of all men. Baptizing them and teaching them the things that Jesus Christ gave him to teach. So he's moving and the Lord is guiding him as he continues to be moving. And he comes into uh, Thessalonica and as he comes into Thessalonica, there he's going to meet with uh, tribulation, persecution is going to come in. He's going to go from Thessalonica to Berea and there he's going to meet people who are ready to receive and excited about the word that he has to share. Sometimes that's the way it is with us. Some people you'll share with don't want to hear about it or, or there's going to be a little bit of contention between you and they. Other people are ready. They're just primed. You just, the Lord has brought you in their life at just the right time, at just the right moment. So, you can be able to share. You have just the right thing to say so that they are ready to receive and hear. Both are are a part, natural part of the the outpouring and the outreaching really through God's Spirit in our life to others. See, God always wants us out sharing, sharing Christ, sharing with others. That is not a call. That call is not only for People who have the gift of evangelism. The Great Commission was not just to them. The Great Commission is to us all. To share where we are with the people for whom the Lord brings us. Some of those, we're going to butt heads with. Others, they're going to be ready. But in both cases and in both seasons, we want to be faithful to what God has given us. Now as we see Paul leave Philippi, here's what I want you to understand. Philippi prepared Paul... For Thessalonica. Thessalonica prepared Paul for Berea. Berea prepared him for Athens. Athens prepares him as he goes on further. Everywhere he goes, the journey that has come before has helped make him ready. The same thing is true in your life. The things that you've experienced in your life, the difficulties, the setbacks, the victories, all of those things prepare you for the person God's going to put in front of you tomorrow. For the, for the child the Lord may have you teaching. For the person you may find yourself next to at work. Whatever the case may be, the things you've gone through have prepared you. If you are willing, as Paul was, as Timothy, as Silas, if you are willing to respond to the Holy Spirit, we can see the exact same things working in our lives and within our church still today. Still occurring And what the Bible doesn't tell us, or it doesn't tell us specifically as we look at verse 1, Paul traveled a hundred miles by foot to get to Thessalonica. He left Philippi. Remember what happened to Philippi, right? Beaten with rods, thrown in prison. So it's got to be a little sore, right? I mean, I'm imagining. I remember, do you guys remember a lot of years ago? I I don't remember what country it was in. the, The kid who... Who did the graffiti and he got caned? Do you guys remember what country that was? Singapore? And that was one whoop, right? That was one hit. The caning in Singapore and what we see in, in those areas is very similar to the concept of being beat with rods. The difference with being beat with rods is instead of one guy hitting you, there were two. One on each side and they both had that rod. So I got to imagine he's a little sore. I got to imagine he's kind of stiff, but at the same time he's also very stoked because the the spirit of God moved. Right? You have in the church of Philippi Diana, a wealthy businesswoman. You have a, a jailer, maybe a few prisoners, and a woman who was uh, clairvoyant uh, who spoke with a demon. And so you have all these things who are now a part of that church. You got to be excited about that. But he leaves, travels a hundred miles. And comes to Thessalonica. And every time I look at that guys. I'm, 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 I'm two things. I'm pretty excited about man. The, the effort he was willing to put in. And then I, I get somewhat depressed. At the, the effort maybe we're willing to put in. A hundred miles to share the gospel. By foot. Keith was telling me about a fishing hole. I have to hike with a backpack to, to the pond with great fishing. It's just great fishing. But you've got to hike. Says, so I can't take a motorcycle? No, a motorcycle. The reason it's great fish is because you've got to hike. Um, as soon as they run out of fish where I can drive? <laughs> Maybe. But when we, when we talk about sharing the gospel, and Paul's going 100 miles on foot. The question is, will we cross the street or will we cross the aisle or the people I'm standing in line with at Walmart? I can't tell you how many opportunities just every day, just wherever, just in line at the Panda Express. And people are talking and an opportunity comes up to share a little bit of, of faith, my story with the Lord with them, just while we're waiting in line. And being obedient to those opportunities and taking those opportunities whenever they come. Paul went a hundred miles to find somebody he could tell him about the Lord. That's pretty exciting for me. And when he gets there, we see Thessalonica born in tribulation. Listen, in, in 1 Thessalonians 1.6, this is what Paul wrote about the church in Thessalonica. And you became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, when the church at Thessalonica started... There was rough going, there was some battling, there was tribulation, there was persecution. In 1 Thessalonians 2.2 2, he says, But even after we had suffered before, and were spitefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we were bold in our God to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. So Philippi prepared them to share Thessalonica, to share what God had made them even more bold. It made him even more excited to be able to share the truth of who God was. So Paul goes wherever he goes, sharing the gospel. And he begins always in the same place. You remember the place where he begins? He begins in a synagogue, right? He begins in a synagogue. It tells us in verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures. So he goes into the synagogue as was his practice, his custom. Why was it his custom? Guys, it's it's really simple. Remember we've talked about they were already familiar with the Old Testament scriptures and the concept of Messiah. Now you know who Messiah is, what Messiah has said, and what he's done. So you have an opportunity at this point to go to people who are already looking for a Messiah and say, I know who he is. They're familiar with the scriptures, so you have opportunity. The other thing he had was the fact that he was a Pharisee. And people knew his name. Oh yeah, man, I know this guy. That's that's Saul. That's a dude who who studied under Gamaliel, who who was very well known as a a Pharisee. So when he would come, they would say, Hey, you want to share with us? So man, he's he's got opportunity. He's got people ready to hear. He takes it. It tells us in Scripture, how many weeks did he share in the synagogue? Three Sabbaths, right? Three Sabbaths, three Saturdays, three weeks. So for three weeks, he shared, they gave him the pulpit, in essence, to share with them. So there in the synagogue, who's he got? He's got Jews. He's also got uh, God-fearers, or that would be Greeks or Gentiles who were unwilling to be circumcised but believed the truth uh, in the Word. And so they were what they call God-fearers or seekers. And then, you know, all gathered together in that one place. And there he is, opening the scriptures. Now, here's what the Bible tells us he did. A three-pronged attack is how Paul always shared. Here's the three prongs. He reasoned with them. Look at the scripture. It says, he reasoned with them from the scriptures. Number two, explaining. Number three, explaining demonstrating all three focused around one necessary instrument the scriptures the bible reasoning explaining demonstrating that's how he everywhere he went it was the same way everywhere he went it's the word of god who that works in people's hearts and lives to change them It's the Word of God that does this incredible work in people's lives. So, first, He reasons with them. Now, I don't want you guys to have the wrong idea about reasoning because sometimes we think, and I myself have said, you're never going to argue anybody into the kingdom. Never going to argue anybody into the kingdom. I'm not a big fan of arguing, but I am a fan of contending. To me, the difference is whether or not you really want to know. You understand what I'm saying? An argument is with somebody who just wants to say something to get it going and just fight. Contending is to sit down over a concept in the word or a truth and say, now how does this work in our life? And laying hold of how that works, reasoning together. Isn't that what Isaiah said? Come, let us reason together. Though your sins may be as scarlet, they can be What? Why How are we going to reason that? How am I going to understand? How am I going to lay hold of that truth? I need to contend for the truth. So I'm going to reason in the scriptures. That's what he was doing. Reasoning. That same exact word for reasoning, guys, is used several places in the scripture. I just want to share a couple of them with you. You remember when the disciples were battling it out over who was the greatest? Not necessarily their high point. In Mark chapter 9 verse 34 it says, They kept silent... For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. The word disputed is the exact same word. Reasoning. They were contending. Who's the greatest? It gives you a little bit of the flavor for the passion behind the discussion. Are you with me? Not necessarily that that you're screaming and yelling, but it's a passionate contention. That's how Paul was sharing the scriptures also in Jude verse 9 it says Michael the archangel in contending with the devil when he disputed about the body of Moses did not bring a reviling accusation but said the Lord rebuke you the same phrase in contending and disputing over the body of Moses same word is reasoning you get a little bit of the context how do you think that conversation between Michael and the devil went Okay, I'm not sure. I, I, actually, one of the people, the, mo- the person I'm most stoked to see in heaven is Jesus. And, uh, and spending time with the Lord, but somewhere down that list, not very far, is Michael the Arcane. So I've got to see that guy. That He has got to be crazy looking. I, 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 if there's videotape in heaven, I want to I see at the crucifixion, how they kept Michael from coming out of heaven. I can't imagine... But anyways, I digress. Same concept, a passion to contend the way Michael contends with the devil. In Revelation chapter 12, God takes the chains off of Michael and says, throw this bum out. And Michael goes and grabs a hold of Satan and throws him out of heaven. What kind of contention is that? The kind of contention that we see in Jude, the kind of contention between the the disciples, to contend for the faith, to, to 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 passionately go after the truth. That's how Paul reasoned the scriptures. It wasn't a passive, well, here it is if you want it or if you no, it was it was impassioned. You hear what I'm saying? It was a it was an impassioned plea, and this is a way he 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 did everywhere. Everywhere he went, guys, in Acts 17, verse 17, just look down a few verses. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Reason, contending for the truth, right? Contending for the truth. Acts 18, 4, he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Acts 18, 19, he came to Ephesus. And left them there, but he himself entered the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. Acts 19 He went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. Acts 20 On the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul, ready to depart the next day, spoke to them and continued his message till midnight. You remember? Oh, you guys remember this guy's name because you've thought about him on Sunday mornings when I don't quit. When the plane's circling and never coming in for landing and service is 15 minutes over and it doesn't seem like he's going to stop ever. You guys know what I'm talking about. The guy's name was Eutychus. You know, the one who fell asleep and fell out the window. The scripture says, where it says Paul spoke to them and continued his message to midnight. Same word. Reasoning. Impassion. Contending for the truth. Paul was so passionate about what he said, he would not stop. And what happened? You remember, he's talking to midnight, Eutychus falls asleep, falls out the window, dies on the ground. Paul goes over, lays hands on him, heals him, brings him back to life, brings him back in the house, and kept going. That wasn't the conclusion of the sermon. That wasn't the conclusion of the impassioned contention for the truth. And the whole time what he's doing, he's laying out the truth and he's just trying to work his way through it. I don't know how long ago it was, uh, gosh, I know, it was a while back, uh, I, I called uh, um, several guys together, I, uh, Brian and, and Jason and George and, and Gary and Andy and a few other guys that I felt like, you know, God was moving and working in their life. And I said, hey, I'm going to do discipleship. You guys want to get together? The whole concept of that discipleship was to contend for the truth. We didn't always have a plan. We didn't always have a study. But we would come together and maybe there would be a concept, a biblical concept. I remember Brian and Jason getting so mad at me. We were talking about God's perfect will or permissive will, if you've ever had those kind of discussions before. And they're telling me all these impassioned arguments for God's passive will and God's perfect will. And then I would just say, Show me in the scripture. I don't want to know your opinion. Show me in the scripture. And they get all <clears throat> they ended up doing a youth trip a, a couple weeks later, and my wife went on this trip to a concert, and uh, she said they were still griping about trying to find their concepts in the bible, but that 's the important part, right it doesn 't matter what you think it matters what 's it say it doesn 't matter what you you know the Lord says, "My thoughts are not your thoughts, my ways are not your ways you can 't always wrap your mind around on what I'm doing, but, but the Word of God, that we can stand on firm, right? So that's where we want to find it. That's where we want to engage truth. That's where we want to grab a hold of, of the things that God's doing. So that's what that discipleship was all about. I'm actually kind of stoked. I think we're going to start up another one probably in about three weeks on Monday nights. So keep your ears tuned. But anyways, um, that's what it was for, To reason. To, to work our way through concepts. To, to, to chew on things. That's what Paul always did. That was part one. What was part two? He's explaining. The word for explaining is to open. To open. It's to take the Bible and open it. To open the scripture. To look at it. Sometimes, I don't know if you ever had to do any, uh, literature classes in, in college. I actually like reading it's weird, I don't know why, but I like reading, I like, I got an ancient, ancient, ancient uh, book, actually I got to kick Danielle out of it every once in a while, it's Shakespeare in my office, and I like to, I like to, to read through it, now when I read Shakespeare, I got to slow down, I got to take some time, I got to say, what's he saying here, what's going on, what's happening? It's no different when we read the Word of God. Shakespeare is not living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. It's just kind of cool sometimes. But the Word of God is living. It's vibrant. It has things to give us. But we have to use tools to do what? To Open it. Open it. There's two Greek words that talk about the concept. One is to eisege and one is to exege. To eisege is to take a concept and then cram it into the Bible. That's eisegy. Take your ideas and fit it into the Bible. Exegy is to take the Bible and fit that into your ideas. That's what we're talking about. Opening. Opening the word. What's he saying? Who's he talking to? What's going on? How far did they have to walk? What's happening in their life? To be excited about what does the Bible tell us? What is the Bible laying out for us? What is it gonna how how can we grow through it and from it and to it if we're willing to be open? The same exact word is used, guys, in Luke twenty four. You remember the story of the road to Emmaus? You remember the two guys walking with Jesus, but they don't know it's Jesus. And Jesus comes in to eat with them. And while he's eating with them, he breaks the bread. And the scripture says, when he broke the bread, what's it say? Their eyes were open, right? Open, same exact word. Their eyes were open, they could see. Ah. And then Jesus was gone. And then you remember what they said. They said to one another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us on the road? While he opened the scriptures to us. That's the second thing Paul did. He reasoned. That's impassioned contention for the truth. He explained. He opened the word. Here's what is being spoken of. Here's what's being talked about. Here's what the Bible is saying. The third thing we see is he was demonstrating. Look what it says. It says explaining and demonstrating... That the Christ, that's the word for Messiah, had to suffer and rise from the dead. And saying, this Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Demonstrate is the word in Greek to put alongside. So he would take the truth of the Old Testament and put alongside that truth the life of Jesus Christ. And he would say, now examine that. Tell me, isn't that what he's talking about? That was the third part, the third prong, if you will, as he was sharing the gospel. Reasoning, impassioned, contention for the truth, explaining, opening the scriptures to them. And thirdly, demonstrating, putting things alongside so that they could examine, so that they could see that the truth was there. So that they could examine what was before them. No doubt, Paul took them to scriptures like Psalm 22. Just hold your finger here and flip to the left, to Psalm 22. As he as as Paul is sharing, as Paul is sharing with them the Old Testament scriptures. Tell me if anything in Psalm 22 sounds familiar to you. It begins with this phrase: "My God, my God, why have you forsaken me?" For many of you, might recognize that as words Jesus spoke from the cross during his crucifixion. But what else does it say in Psalm 22? It says, oh my God, in verse 2, I cry in the daytime, but you do not hear, and in the night season, and am not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted and you delivered them. They cried to you and, you, uh, and were delivered. They trusted in you and were not ashamed. But I am a worm and no man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip or they stick out their tongue. They shake the head saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him since he delights in him. But you are he who took me out of the womb. You made me to trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me for trouble is near and there is none to help Many bulls have surrounded me. Strong bulls of bastion have encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like a raging and roaring lion. Just a little side note. Verse 12 and 13 are common language used to denote demonic activity. If you picture the crucifixion, Christ on the cross and his thoughts at the cross. When he says strong bulls encircle me. It may be what he's talking about or what he's laying out is the concept of the demons that are dancing around the cross. As he is being crucified. Verse 14. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. They pierced his side. What came out? Blood and water. Just like wax melting in a candle. Right? Blood and water came out of his side. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt. He's weakened. His bones come out of joint. Because hanging on the cross would dislocate every bone that was nailed to the cross. So you come out the wrist and the elbows and the shoulders. You know the drill, right? He says, for dogs have surrounded me. By the way, that's a comment or a, a denotation of the Gentiles. For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They look and stare at me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing they cast lots. Sound familiar? Psalm 22, the thoughts of Christ from the cross as he was crucified, written 800 years before crucifixion existed. Amazing. He demonstrated, he put the Psalm 22, and he put the Lord Jesus Christ beside it, and he said, listen to what he said. These are the same things that people were saying to him while he was on the cross. This is true. This is real. It's not some imagination. He's laying it out for them. Demonstrating. Maybe he read from Isaiah 53. You guys know the verse. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon him. And by his stripes we are healed. Lay it out. And lay Jesus Christ beside it. And say look. Look. Look at the reality that this is who Jesus is. He undoubtedly taught him about the resurrection. And so if he taught him about the resurrection, he read to him Psalm 1610. Psalm 1610 says, For you will not abandon my soul to the grave, neither will you allow your Holy One to undergo corruption. The Jewish mindset I've shared with you before. Corruption took place on day four. When Lazarus was in the tomb, and Mary told Jesus, don't go to him, don't take the stone away, he stinks. How long had he been there? Four days. Corruption taking place, his body begins to decay. But the psalmist wrote of the Holy One, which is the title for Messiah, the Christ, The psalmist wrote and said, not only is he going to die, because Daniel chapter 9 said that the Messiah would be karat, put to death, but not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. It said that the Messiah would be put to death, Daniel chapter 9. Psalm 16 said he wouldn't see corruption. His body wouldn't rot in the ground. If the body rotted or rotting began at day 4, in their mindset, what did that mean he had to rise before? Had to come up before the fourth day, right? Jesus said, or Paul said, as it was written in the scriptures, on the third day, he will rise. Because his body will not see corruption. Psalm 1610, laid beside the life of Jesus Christ. This is demonstrating the truth of what the word of God says with the reality of our lives. This is what Paul was doing. This is how he was demonstrating. What's the message, guys? The message, same as from Acts chapter 4, basically is this. The stone which has been rejected has become the chief cornerstone. And there is not salvation in any other name. For there is no other name under heaven given among men which, by which you must be saved. Only one way to salvation. Through the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said in John chapter 8, Unless you believe that I am eternal God, you will die in your sins. You think, what are you talking about? That's crazy. I never heard that. Well, go read it. Unless you believe that I am, go reason from the scriptures. See that it's not so. Unless you believe that I am, you will die in your sins. So this is the message, the gospel that he lays out. What happens when he gives it? Look... Verse 4, some of them were persuaded, a great multitude of devout Greeks, and not a few of the leading women. People got saved. Lives began to change. The Spirit of God begins to move. Lives begin to change. The devil comes in and decides he's going to start a ruckus. The first wave of the devil is always persecution, always has been, always will be. He comes with persecution. Persecution doesn't work. Usually it doesn't, but there are occasions in which it has If persecution doesn't work, the second thing that the devil does is try to join the church. He'll do one or the other. The Spirit of God is moving, things are happening. You'll notice the Scripture says, um, not a few of the leading women. Later on, we'll read about prominent women. Both of those are women who are married to Roman officials. Roman People who are in the Roman government. Their wives are getting saved. And most of us guys told our stories about how we came to faith. Most of us came to faith in one way or another through our wives dragging us to church. Maybe some of us. Our wives dragging us to church, saying, come on, come on, come on. Some of you are still trying to drag. I get it. I know. We've all been there one way or the other. The idea is the same. Prominent women getting saved who were married to Roman officials, which is eventually going to provide even more opportunity for the church as it continues to go out with the gospel. So what happens? Persecution. But the Jews who were not persuaded, becoming envious, took some of the evil men from the marketplace. If you have a King James Version, I think it says um, something like, vile men of the baser sort. Or, um, I know one translation says bums. Another may say something else. The idea is that these are the... The guys, the low, the, the guys who will do anything for a buck, and so they go and they find these guys who will do anything for a buck, and they start a mob, a mob rule mentality, and they go that they're going to get Paul, they're going to get Silas, they're going to get Timothy, and they're going to shut these guys up. That's their idea. So what do they do? It says they, they get the city in an uproar and attack the house of Jason and sought to bring out bring them out to the people. So they go to Jason's house. Jason is the name of the guy. Um, probably was the ruler of the synagogue there, or, or some in some way affiliated, into whom's, whose house you now have Paul, Silas, Timothy, Luke, and the guys all using his house as a base of operation. Well, they come to get them. This mob starts, this violence starts, they come to get guys, but they're not there. Because they're out doing the stuff. It's not just a once-a-week deal for them. They're out doing the work. They're out... Talking to people, they're out sharing their faith, they're out doing things. So they come to Jason's house. They can't find none of those guys, but they can find Jason. Sometimes you're just part of the support for other missionaries. Maybe you're a support for, maybe you're only praying for guys. But the devil may come to you. The devil may come against the things that you're doing. The enemy may attack you just to get you to stop. Do you know that Mary, Queen of Scots, said that she fears more the prayers of John Knox than all the assembled armies of Europe. You think about that for a minute? She feared more the prayers of John Knox, one guy, more than all the assembled armies of Europe. George Mueller, who read the Bible some more than 200 times in his life, Lived his life in prayer. Wouldn't ask nobody for nothing. I, in fact, he's, he's readily becoming one of my great heroes. And uh, he's amazing. He, his first pastorate, he went to the church and he said, The Bible says my God can supply all my needs according to his power in Christ Jesus. Um, don't pay me nothing. God will take care of me. Never took a salary. Not a nickel served the Lord in full time ministry his whole life that's pretty radical isn't it that's pretty radical for me I think that's pretty radical every need he ever had he just brought before the Lord in prayer he just prayed you may just be praying for somebody just praying for a missionary and the devil wants to shut you up just like this they got Jason they didn't get the guys they got the guy who was a supporting cast are you with me They're, they're trying to take him down We take out the support structure, then they're going to have to get out of here. But the problem is, the church is already founded, man. The church is already happening. Kick Paul out. Go ahead. The church is not going away. The church in Thessalonica is still there. You can go visit. I've been there. Still there. Still there from the time of Paul. Still happening. Still going Still moving, God's still doing great things. So they get Jason, they drag him out. They said he is those who have turned the world upside down have come here. Wouldn't you love it if people would say that about us? I would love it if people said that. If 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 I walked into town and somebody said, I don't know, we start talking and they say, where do you go to church? Oh, Calvary Chapel, be old. They said, oh, man, every time I turn around, I'm bumping into somebody from there telling me about Jesus. Wouldn't that be cool? Wouldn't you like that to be our reputation? Every time I bump into somebody, they're telling me about Jesus, they seem to be coming from Calvary Chapel Buell. Praise God. Those who are turning the world upside down are here. Those who are turning the world upside down. Jason harbored them. It's his fault. And these are all acting contrary to the decrees of Caesar, saying there is another king, Jesus. That was their beef. Six million Christians died during the Roman persecution, at least. All for a relatively simple thing. You see, Octavian, in about 30 BC, took on the title Caesar uh, Augustus, the August one. And he also was encouraged to take the title Pontifex Maximus. You may have heard that. There are some churches that use that title. Pontifex Maximus has the concept within it of God on earth. And so the idea was that everyone to be a good citizen in Rome would take a pinch of incense, very simple. You'd just snap off a little piece of incense, you'd walk over to a burning fire, you would declare Caesar is God, and you'd throw it on the fire. You're a good citizen of Rome. Rome's very tolerant. They're tolerant of all faiths, All religions, you could be anything you wanted to be as long as you did that. Very tolerant. Tolerant of everything except Christians and Jews. Those two people groups wouldn't do it. They would say there is only one Lord, and his name is not Caesar. There's only one Lord, his name is Jesus. Some people think what's the big deal? What's the big deal? One of the, one of the blogs from Saeed, a long time ago when it first started, and he was in prison over there in Evan Prison, one of the guys wrote to, to, it's not really Saeed because he's not on Facebook, but Nagmi, I think, runs his, his web, or that Facebook site, at least at the time. And one guy writes and he says, just tell Saeed to recant his faith, and they'll let him go, and he can get home and be with his kids. Just tell him to recant. Man, immediately I think Job's wife. Curse God and die. But don't give me advice like that. That's the only thing keeping him alive in there. Is his faith. Recant that. And they have won. And you are beaten. And your children may have a dad, but you may have lost everything else. Would you trade everything else for that? That's the idea. Just take a pinch in. What's the big deal? You don't really mean it. Yeah, I I only have one thing. All I got is my witness, my reputation, and my character, who I am. I get to spend it any way I want to my whole life, right? Once it's spent, it's spent. Once it's gone, it's gone. There's no getting it back. Once you speak the words, you get to take them back? Well, in politics all the time, but the, none of us believe any of those guys, right? Same idea. They wouldn't do it. They wouldn't do it. What scripture say? So when they took security from Jason and the rest, they let him go. They find him. They find him for having house church. Oh, you're having a house church? Church in your home? It's a hassle. It's not allowed in this neighborhood, so we're going to find you. That would never happen anywhere else, right? Well, surely that never happened in the United States of America. We're nothing like Rome. We don't preach tolerance, do we? We don't preach tolerance of everything but Christians. No. No, no, no. And before long, somebody's going to stand up and say, Just take a pinch of incense and declare your pledge of allegiance to the Declaration of Independence, the Bill of Rights, to the government of the United States. And... It'll all be good. Look, I love the U.S. I bled for her. I bleed for her again. But there's only one God. Jesus is his name. It's not this country. My citizenship is not here. I live here, but my citizenship is in heaven. Hey, I did my time. I bled for her. I got the right to say anything I want. Right? There are some people standing... On Capitol Hill who had never shed a drop of sweat or a little bit of blood. They should just be quiet and go away. That's my two cents. (laughs) For what it's worth. Oh, okay, so what happens? Back to the important things, the word of God. So they took money from him. They threw him out. It says in verse 10, the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. What's he doing? The same thing he did before, right? Same thing, he went there, it was, it was a little bit of a struggle and some fighting, and some con- contending for the truth and, and explaining the scriptures, right, right, and demonstrating the, the reality in the word of God, all that stuff, doing the same thing. But these were more fair-minded than those in Thessalonica. Hey, these guys were ready. They were hungry to hear the truth. In that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. Man, these guys were ready to receive. They heard the word, and they were getting into the word. And they opened the word, and they want to contend in the word. And they want to find the truth. And they'll hear what you have to say, and then they're going to open a Bible and see. Is it there? Do you love the word of God? Do you love coming to know, getting to know the mysteries in God's word? Deciphering the things that God's word lays out for us. Do you love it? If you don't, there's a problem. You see, Paul says, or actually Peter tells us, that we as believers should desire the Word of God the same way a baby desires his mother's milk. You get that picture in your mind? It's a whole nother picture for me. I shared last time because Cole's not here, so I can do it. My second born son, Cole, Kathy gave birth to him, she told the doctor, she said, listen, when, when I give birth, I want you to put him right on my belly as soon as he's born. I want to make sure that he's going to uh, want to breastfeed. And she had read that that was the best thing for him to, to get the baby skin to skin with the mom ASAP. So the doctor tried to you know, say no or he didn't want to do that. And, but if you ever met Kathy, she just will not stop. She will wear you down. And so she wore the doctor down. He said, as long as there's no problems, I'll do it. So it was an interesting birth, to say the least. Kathy did some weird things while she was pushing, and her eyeballs popped. The blood vessels in the whites of her eyes turned blood red in a second. Freaked me out. I'm looking at her, and I'm thinking, what just happened? (laughs) But then there was the sound of a newborn baby being born. And the doctor took him and, and lifted him up and laid him on mama's belly. And I watched a brand new, straight out of the womb baby do his best low crawl to get to mom and mother's milk. It was amazing. The doctor even said, wow, that's something we should do more often. He wanted the milk and the, Peter said... That's the way every believer ought to be about the word. If that's not how you are, there's a problem. Need to rectify. It's not something you can do of your own. That's something you got to seek the Lord to do, but you should like a newborn baby desires his mother's milk, desire the truth of the word of God in your life. Got to have it, got to spend time in it, got to read it, got to open it, got to be there. 1 Peter 2 2. You check it out for yourself. Be a Berean. They received the word. They studied the scriptures. They checked the scripture to see if it was so. Look at verse 12. Therefore, many of them believed. You see the therefore. Every time you see therefore in the Bible, you probably heard this before, you need to make sure you know what it's therefore was it therefore it's referring back to the fact that they were having their noses in the scripture they were constantly in the scripture checking things in the scripture and because they were always in the word of god the word of god does what jesus said he said it would never return void it would always accomplish what it was sent to do Isn't that what he said It says, therefore, many of them believed. In Thessalonica, how many believed? Do you remember? It said some. In Berea, it says many. What's the difference? The Bereans were in the Word. The Bereans wanted to study. They wanted to see. Are these things so? Many people get saved. And not, not a few Greeks and prominent women as well as men. So guys are getting saved. They're coming to faith. As soon as the Spirit of God starts to move, what's the devil do? Take the week off? Nope, next verse says, so immediately when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul in Berea, they came there also and stirred up trouble. They came and started the mobs going again. It says immediately the brethren sent Paul away. They were afraid that they were going to kill Paul. So they grabbed Paul and they took him away. Look what it says, they took him to the sea. But both Silas and Timothy remained there. So this journey is more than 100 miles. They take them down to the sea. Then they get on a boat, and they float with them over to Athens. And then when they get them to Athens, they get off the boat, and Paul says, I really wish I had Silas and Timothy with me. And those people who are from Berea, who just got saved and were excited, and wanted to do something for the Lord, they heard, well, Paul needs those two guys. We'll go get them. So they turn around, and they go back to get Silas and Timothy, which which leaves Paul in Athens alone. Which we'll talk about next week when he shares his message to the people at Mars Hill. The Areopagus. But they wanted to serve. They wanted to be doing something. it brings us right back to the concept of understanding the general will of God. And being in motion doing something until God reveals his specific will in your life. To be reasoning from the scripture, contending for the truth, opening the word of God so that people can understand. You say, I don't understand, I don't know how to do that. Get some tools. Get some tools. So that you can. Come to me and say, Jackie, I don't know how to do this. And I'll say, hey, a couple of weeks on Mondays, we're going to get together, I'll teach you. Learn. Grow. Serve. Two churches, one church birth of eagerness the other birth of persecution both continue to do the work of God long after Paul left both equipped in the same way understanding the focus every church everywhere every place the focus is the word of God it's God's word that changes life it's God's word that's going to mold you and make you It's God's word working in your life revealing truth in your life You've got to pour it in, or you're not going to get nothing out. Like a baby needs milk. You think about it. How long a baby lasts? Newborn, you don't feed him. But some of us as Christians have gone longer than that without feeding ourselves. Pouring the word in. Letting the word of God do its work letting God do great things. And then you and I, as we do that, we're ready, we're prepared, we're set. The Spirit of God begins to move and shape in our life. Revival begins to happen in our hearts. We begin to share with others. The Spirit of God starts to move. The Spirit of God starts to move and revival begins to set. And you start seeing your community change and your neighborhood change and your city change. And God's doing these great things. But as soon as that happens, what's the devil going to do? He's going to come. They're going to try to shut the door and stop what's going on. If that doesn't work, you're going to try to join the church. That's what he does. we still got a job to do. It hasn't changed. we still got something to to be about. Remember that fellow I told you about. So you want to see revival in your lifetime? It's a simple way to make it happen. Go into your room, close the door. Take a piece of chalk and draw a circle on the ground. Kneel inside that circle and pray that God would start revival in that circle. And you will see revival in your lifetime. Amen? Once you stand with me, let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for the truth of your word, for the concept, the teaching that we see. Paul. God, we see him move and we know that we can do the same things. Lord, you're calling us to the same thing, to reason, to explain, to demonstrate, to be willing to where there's opportunity to share. That's all Paul did. He went where there was opportunity and he shared. Oh, Lord God, there's so many opportunities here that we miss. We miss opportunities in the store. We miss opportunities on the street. We miss opportunities in the church. We got opportunities in the lobby, we got opportunities in Sunday school rooms. we got opportunities with the youth, we got opportunities with men, we got opportunities with women. but if you're not there, Paul took the opportunities and he reasoned and he explained and he demonstrated and he did great, great and amazing things and revivals and lives and things changed. Lord God, we desire the same thing in our midst. Lord, we said last week we would follow you. This week it's time to put our money where our mouth is, Lord. That we would step out and say, here I am, use me. Where there is opportunity, I will share. Where there is a chance, I will speak. Where there is a place that I might be able to demonstrate the love of Christ. I want to demonstrate it. Lord, I want to do The work you've called us to do. Lord God, I pray that you would move in the hearts and the lives of everyone that's here, Lord Jesus. That we would desire, God, to do that work that you have called us to. To get moving. To respond to the Holy Spirit. And to allow the word of God to work in our lives what he needs to do. Lord, we pray that you would do that perfect work in us and through us as we give you praise.